No Dunks is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NBA ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. I just bought my friend's tickets for this week's Spurs-Warriors game in San Francisco. Did I use the GameTime app? No, I'm an idiot. Would I have saved mad money? Of course I would have. I paid an arm and a leg for these tickets. Game time would have saved me some serious coin and time because the app is so simple to use. So don't be a skeets. Don't be an idiot. Head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on some last-minute tickets. Welcome to No Dunks. All right, a bit of a different show for you today. Tass and Trey down in Atlanta and joining us here in studio, a man who's just about as new at The Athletic as we are, and he's already making us look terrible with his incredible work that he's putting out. He knows the league inside and out. Seven years as the vice president of basketball operations with the Memphis Grizzlies. Many, many years before that with ESPN and SI, John Hollinger is here in studio. Thanks for joining us, John. Well, thanks for having me down at the No Dunks compound. I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited to be here. We very much appreciate it. You got a new podcast as well with uh, Mr. Nate Duncan that I didn't mention, Hollinger and Duncan NBA show. Yeah, it's a super original name we came up with, <laughs> and uh, we're, we're, uh, we're, we're very excited about it. We got a new episode that just dropped, so you can find us on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you find podcasts. There's a lot more podcasting players than I would have ever known about before we really launched uh, The Daily Show again, but you now we're talking your Stitchers, your Podbeans. It's crazy out there. Yeah, I, I, I don't know how. <laughs> exactly right. Uh, it's got to feel pretty good not working as much, right? I, I'm just guessing that your days are a little bit lighter than your front so office days. He, here, here's the difference, and it's not in the quantity of work. It's that you have a little more opportunity to, to control what pitches you're going to swing at and when you're going to mm. work. Whereas, so it's more that you control the job where on the team side, the job completely controls you. Mm. If something comes up and it's one in the morning, it doesn't matter. You, you're, you're got to deal with that right, mm -hmm. right then. And, uh, and that kind of stuff just happens all the time. Uh, so, uh, it's a, it's probably it's just a little bit easier to kind of manage a life outside of that, I would say. So I'd say that's it. But I, in terms of the actual amount of work you're actually doing, I'm not sure that they're that different. It's just the, the feeling of kind of controlling it versus it controlling you. So you're saying when you go to bed as a GM, you're not throwing your phone on do not disturb because if something's coming through, you, it's yeah, go time. You, you kind of need to be able to be disturbed. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Ever return to a front office role if it prevents it? I presents mean, itself? Nev never say never. You know, I'm enjoying what I'm what I'm doing right now. But you know, um, we'll see what the, <laughs> we'll see what the future holds. I'll, I'll say this: having having already done it, I don't feel like I need to do it again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll be I'll be okay if it never happens again. Just because I've I've had that experience and had a lot of different experiences within those seven years with you know good teams and a couple not so good teams and different types of players and different experiences so I got to do a lot there I mean it, the thing especially about NBA teams in general but small market teams in particular 
even though the NBA projects as this enormous business, it's a little bit like 30 different mom and pop shops. Hmm. So no matter what your job is, you're wearing all kinds of different hats at different times. And so you do get a pretty wide variety of different experiences. Yeah, us laymen here who have followed the game for a really long time, I, I think it remains a bit of a mystery the day-to-day operations in a front office. Obviously, there's busy times, you know, April, May, June, leading up to the draft, leading up to the trade deadline. Um, but in general, let's say it's October 28th, as it is today, as, as we are recording this. You said you, you'd wear many different hats. What would be a, a typical day for, for John Hollinger's you know, VP? You know what's funny is actually these few weeks at the start of the season are probably about the most chill time of the whole year. Right. <laughs> um, other than maybe Labor Day weekend, because... <laughs> You're not you're not even in like September when we're like, oh, goodness, it's dead. We're actually signing all these players for training camp. And now we have all these the thing that ruined our lives on the team side was all these two way contracts and G League affiliate contracts, Hmm. because before it was just sign a few guys for training camp. You know, (laughs) everyone knew the score. They knew they were getting cut as soon as camp ended, you know, and, and it was and it was fine. But now there's this whole other kind of mini rat race uh so so that ends up being kind of time consuming and then um but but this time of year college hasn't started um some guys have gone over to europe uh you know to do some scouting there but there's generally not you generally feel like you have things under control right now and then once all these college tournaments start in the middle of november then between then and the middle of February, the trade deadline, you're really drinking out of the fire hose because <laughs> you're trying to keep track of of not just the NBA, but all these all these college guys you need to keep track of all these Europeans. You got to keep track of what all the other teams are doing in addition to to your own team. So it's a real uh, I mean, it's it's kind of exhilarating at the same time. Uh-huh. But um, there there's there's a lot to process. That's a heck of a database. I'm sure that that's work in there you mentioned a lot of a lot of different working parts you wrote this recently and i wanted to ask you about it you wrote on the front office side when i was in memphis we always worried about bringing in veterans with quote status at the same position as an emerging player what did you mean by that just just the reality that the 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 veteran is is going to get the benefit of the doubt when he comes into the system from from the other players and from the coaching staff because they're familiar with him and i think it's also harder I think in general, just in terms of the politics of a locker room and whatnot, it's harder for a coach to sit a veteran player than to sit a younger player. Mm-hmm. And the veteran player is, in more cases than not, going to be the one who's going to make more problems, let's say, for him <laughs> if, if that happens. And so, and, so it's a, and so it's a tougher call for them. So as a front office, you almost kind of want to remove that decision and just not make it possible if it's a younger player you believe in. Like I thought what Portland did with Anthony Simons was a really good idea just in terms of they think he's ready to be their backup. So they didn't bring in some random, I don't know, Tim Frazier or somebody like that just to, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, be like, be like there minute. just in case because the just in case guy was going to end up playing, you know, mm-hmm. 90 mm-hmm. times out of 100 with uh, the way this league works. So by not having anyone like that on the roster at all, you make sure that Simons gets that opportunity. And then if he bombs, then you can bring somebody like that. You can always get a guy like sure. that, you know? Jamal Crawford somewhere out there. Yeah, or yeah, or all kinds of guys. Yeah. yeah. Bano's probably still playing <laughs> somewhere. He Bano, played for you. Bano is uh, scouting now. Oh, okay. Yeah. He, um, I, I saw him at the uh, G League Showcase last year, actually. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I can't remember who he's scouting for, but yeah, yeah, he's uh, still, he's, he's still involved, still involved in the game. Always, he's got to still have the pull up jumper too. I'm sure he's he's going to have that till he guys that <laughs> that leaning pull up crazy. Yeah. How it, about the flip side of bringing in veterans? Uh, a team like the Nets, it seemed like they brought in DeAndre Jordan because he was good buddies with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, which then you know theoretically makes it easier to sign them. That being said, they had a starter and a guy like Jared Allen. So now it almost feels like Kenny Atkinson's going to want to start DeAndre Jordan, but maybe he's getting the Keith Bogans treatment. He only plays the first few minutes of the half, and then they turn it over to Jared Allen. Is it worth it sometimes to bring in that status guy just because it means you get other status guys? I mean, if it means you get Kevin Durant <laughs> yeah, and Kyrie yeah, Irving, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's worth it, 100%. Um, and, I mean, they did, they did need a second center because sure. um, they weren't going to be able to keep Ed Davis. So uh, you, you – and that one, I think, is pretty easy to understand. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I wrote that in uh, in reference to Milwaukee because Pat Condon was pretty good for them in the playoffs. And then you see them bring in Matthews and Korver, and Matthews is starving, starting now. And he, he's done okay, but you, you just wonder if, they're, if, they, if they block the path of a younger player by doing that. Trey, you wanted to ask about Masai Ujiri. I think you got to get this in right now. Yeah, you know, Masai has, everybody knows that he's still a BlackBerry guy, which isn't very common in 2019. Is that something that the other GMs around the league are like, really, man, you're still using the BlackBerry? Is there is there a de- like a defined line between, you know, the Apple side, the Android side, the BlackBerry side, if there is even more to the side than Masai Ujiri? Is it is it? tough to work with people who are not sharing your same technological formats or you don't even care our front office is making fun of yeah. each other <laughs> yeah exactly right you know i i did not know this ah. i so the guy whose balls i busted for the last decade for using a blackberry is mark stein who worked with me at espn okay. and total blackberry loyalist um so i i think he finally gave it up though this year if i if i recall correctly <laughs> I did not know Masai was a BlackBerry guy. That's that's very interesting. Physical keyboard, I guess. You know, some people like that. Well, is is that like uh, is that like a Canadian thing though? Is that, was, is that part of it? Uh, it was a, a Canadian, Canadian company. company. Was I say was? I guess it still exists. It's still doing well. Masai Ujiri uses it. I don't know many yeah, people who, who do. Uh, no, is it a Canadian? It's not a Canadian thing, as in. People still use it up there. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, very, very clear. I, mean, I was just up there, and nobody, <laughs> nobody was was using that. Yeah. How was the uh, the feeling around opening night in in Toronto? I thought I thought it was really cool because I think there's such an appreciation up there for this championship because they got so inured to suffering in the postseason, right? And some some of the things that had happened, and then to especially from the point where they were down 2-0 in Milwaukee to win those next four and and holy crap we might actually win this thing I think it was I think it was emotional for the fans in the arena to relive that and for the players too um especially some of these guys who have been around a while and hadn't won um you know Mark obviously who we had in Memphis uh, but you could see Kyle in the ring ceremony Serge Ibaka you sure. know you could see the emotion uh of of that and and getting that that first ring the way they did well let's get to your uh, your memphis tenure a, a little bit you mentioned mark um so many great guys uh, you know within that grit and grind category under that umbrella uh, is there something just one sort of big thing that you'll take from that era uh, of the grit and grind one big thing to take away i mean away. there's got a, there's a billion little tony allens and their tony mm-hmm. allen stories and, and yeah and there's just so many great characters 
uh, you know, Mark, and it goes down to, to Zach and, and Conley. So here, here's one thing that in the wake of last summer, I, I kind of sat down and, and realized and said to myself, like, wow, that was pretty unique. We had, in this very small market, we had four good players who all wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. And we had that for half a decade, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that is the really uh, kind of unique and unusual part. Um, I mean, in, in any market, A, but in, in Memphis, Tennessee, sure. you know, that just the situation came together where... You know, the, all four of them hit unrestricted free agency and re-signed with us. That is pretty amazing. You know, and, and like without much of a fight, you know, on, <laughs> on any of them. Uh, uh, we, were, we weren't sweating out meetings in, you know, bunkers in Long Island or anything. So uh, I, that, that to me is the, is the unique and special thing that I'll take away. And, uh, and, it, and like it wasn't because of us. It was because of those guys and their connection to that city. Um, and, and the fans in that town. Um, so I, I think that's probably the most, as I reflect back on it, that's probably the most kind of special, unique part that I think would be, would be hard to replicate. Well, there were, even within the grit and grind, a couple iterations of, of highs, a conference finals appearance, the, the two, one, lead on the Golden State Warriors. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, which, okay, so you got there in 2012. You immediately went to a Western Conference Finals, yep. swept by the Spurs. Yeah. But in 2015, the Golden State Warriors' first championship, you guys are up 2-1 in the second round. Yeah. The big boys were bashing around the Warriors, doing a lot of tugging on the jerseys. You guys were, were, were in their heads, big time. And game four in Memphis goes to Golden State. They go back to Golden State. They win game five and come back to Memphis and win game six. But from those two... Well, let's start with that. In 2015, should you guys have knocked off the Warriors? So the thing I'll always wonder, uh, the thing people forget, game one, we played that series without Mike Conley or Bano. Mm. We played with our, our number three point guard, Nick Calathis, played 40 minutes that game. Um, yeah, that was so a broken face could series. We, Mike right? had a broken face. Um, Bano had sprained his ankle in the Portland series. And, and even when Mike and Bano came back, Mike was awesome in game two. That first game back is just all on an adrenaline. But even when those guys came back, they weren't quite where they were. Right. Uh, and then obviously Tony Allen uh, hurt his hurt his hamstring. Um, he originally did it in game two. The play stole the ball from Clay and he's yelling first team all defense, <laughs> and uh, and and then aggravated it uh, later in the series, uh, and and that really hurt us. And so. Injuries are part of the game, right? But the thing I always wonder is if we start game one with 100% Mike, 100% Bano, 100% Tony, what happens in that series? That, that's the thing I'll always wonder. Now, obviously, Golden State had an awesome team, and they, you know, they did some incredible stuff. Like Game six, Steph Curry, I don't know if you remember, at the end of the third quarter, made a 70-foot shot over a closing Costa Kufus <laughs> <laughs> who, who missed, missed by a fingernail blocking it and just dropped it up to the moon and straight down through the net. I mean, Somewhere, it, was, it, someone, was a tough, it was a tough team to beat. Someone in Memphis has closing Costa Kufus as a, as a fantasy <laughs> team name. And then you probably had a good road. Uh, to the finals as well. They beat the Rockets in the next series who Memphis yeah, the Rockets, probably matched up pretty well with. We, I mean, we felt like we did, although we had trouble with Houston in the in the regular season that year. We ended up losing the division to them by, by one game. Um, if I remember right, they got us 3-1 in the season series that year. Um, so they, they, were, they were a little tougher, even though, you know, you think you put Tony Allen on, on 
James Harden, you have, mm-hmm. feel feel pretty good about your chances. Um, was that? But yeah, that would have been that would have been really interesting. We did feel like we matched up very good against LeBron's teams. Tony always did a good job against him, um, and we we always had a lot of success relative to other teams in the league, at least mm-hmm. against uh, Miami and, and Cleveland. So we 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 did feel pretty good about that part. Do you think that team was had a, a better shot or the team that actually went to the Western Conference final and got swept that, by that the That 2015 Spurs? team was our best team. That team in 2013, we got to the Western Conference finals uh, partly because of the injury to, uh, to Russell Westbrook. It definitely greased our path in the conference semis. I mean, that was a really good team too. But I just think that team, two years later, um, we had a little more pop because we had Courtney Lee added to the, to the core four by then. Um, we had Kufus at the, as a backup five. Our backup point guard situation was a lot better because we had Baino and Kalathis, who were probably uh, both better than the guys we had in, in the 2013 team. So uh, I, I, I think we just had a little a little more to us, mm-hmm. uh, one one through eight, than the, than that team in, in 20. I mean, they were both really good teams. Don't get me wrong. Our 2014 team was good, too. I mean, we played a 60-win team in the first mm-hmm. round and lost in seven games. But, yeah, that 2015 team, that to me was was our best team at that era. How tough is it, the tinkering aspect of adding to a good team? You mentioned Courtney Lee was a, was a midseason addition. Jeff Green was a, eventually a midseason addition, too. Yeah. You've got the core four. You've got a good team. Now you've got to find the pieces to add to it. But teams aren't just going to give you those pieces. They're going to make your team exactly what you want. So are you weighing the pros and cons? Are you, are you searching for anybody who's just languishing on a bench? Maybe we can rescue him, and he's the piece for us. Is it, is it harder than people would think to find a vet who's going to help that a team's actually going to let go. I mean, yeah. So the, the entire challenge is finding, is finding the terms of a trade that both sides would find agreeable. Sure. And, uh, cause usually those guys aren't lying on the scrap heap. Although it's once in a while there, I mean, we claim Bano off of waivers. Sure. We got James Johnson out of the G league and, and Jamichael green. So that, that does happen. But, uh, usually as you go through the season, you'll find like through October and the beginning of November, a lot of, uh, GMs and front office people are traveling with their teams right now, trying to assess what they have, what what their weaknesses are, um, and they'll use that information and start making calls as we get a little closer to the trade deadline, and try to figure out you know who's who's out there, who's available, what does it cost me, what works under the cap, uh, you know all that mm-hmm. all that goes into it. We were fortunate in Courtney's case that we still had a large trade exception left over from the Rudy Gay trade that we had made the year before. So it allowed us to trade Jared Bayless for Courtney Lee straight up, which otherwise wouldn't have worked mm-hmm. under the cap because Courtney made like almost twice as much. Um, so we, we were fortunate to have that, and that was what greased that trade. And so that was, you know, peak peak Memphis, I think, while you were there. It was, it was yeah. 2015. And a couple pieces of your core four, Mark uh, traded last year, and Mike Conley just this past summer. So looking back, would you think that you guys hung on to that air a little too long. Should it have been blown up a little bit earlier? Uh, oh, I don't think there's any question. We should have, after, uh, after that series against the Spurs in uh, 2017, I mean, we put up a great fight against them. They were a 60-win team. Uh, you know, we took them, to, took them to six games and whatnot, but, like, that, that, that was it. That was the last <laughs> bullet, man, you know? <laughs> and uh, I think just... There's an emotion when you're on the team side. I think it's easier when, when you're out here to, to remove yourself from that situation and say, you know, it's right. probably about over. You might want to think about blowing this up. And, uh, but 
on the when you're inside on the team side, that can be a little bit like turning around an ocean liner. Sure. And uh, so, uh, so we so we did. We ended up hanging on to him for for two more years, and and it's weird how it worked out that we were still. <laughs> we were still bad enough to get high lottery picks anyway, <laughs> but they also held on to enough of their trade value that we were also able to get a lot for them. So mm-hmm. I think the the Grizzlies are very fortunate that it worked out the way it did, um, even though they were probably, you know, a year and a half too late and plunging into that. I'm sure it was tough even just from a personality standpoint. Those guys are great oh, no, dudes. I mean, nobody wanted to trade Mike and Mark. Yeah, I mean, exactly, you know? So, uh, I mean, that's another example of how the, uh, you know, there's definitely an, an emotion that, that comes with it. And, uh, you know, not just with them. I mean, we when we traded uh, Courtney Lee in uh, 2016, it was the same kind of thing. He was a great guy. Everyone loved him. He really fit everything we did. But he was an expiring contract. He was going to get paid. And we had a deal on the table to get four second-round picks for him. It was oh and uh, and all, Mike and Mark were already out for the season. That was the other right. piece of information. We had. <laughs> so it was like uh, okay, we should probably do this, but I hate to do this. Um, let's talk about one guy. Twenty sixteen, you mm-hmm. thought might be a sort of a, a piece that would link the eras. Yeah, uh-huh. I see you smiling already because you know what's coming. The Zach Randolph era and Tony Allen era were gone, but Mike and Mark were still there. You needed a wing. Chandler Parsons was available. Now, yep. Chandler Parsons is currently wearing suits in Atlanta, uh, chewing a lot of big pieces of gum, apparently, on the sideline. Um, but in 2016, uh, he wasn't that far removed from being one of the best value contracts in the league by Daryl Morey in Houston a couple of years in Dallas after the club signing with uh, Mark Cuban. He opted out. You guys signed him to a max deal. What happened with Chandler Parsons? What, what materialized but from the time you signed him to, you know, all those knee issues that were lingering from Dallas, but yeah. sent him south. Well, um, I, I will I will say this. I mean, there there there's some there's only some of this I can go into. But uh, <laughs> but the the thing that was really I thought the the death shot was that we had him. For, we did all this work on his right knee and we had him for six games and then he hurt the left knee. Hmm. Uh, and then that was I think from there it was probably. I don't know if it was. I don't. I don't know if it was going to go that way anyway. But once that happened, I, I, I think that removed any, sure, any kind of chance of salvaging that one. So, which was, uh, you know, hugely unfortunate, obviously, because that that contract uh, really ended up limiting us the last the last few years. And if we had been, I mean, the, the I guess the only solace is if you look at free agency that year. And we hadn't signed him, we probably would have signed another <laughs> equally horrible contract because if you look at all the contracts from that summer, not one of them was good. They're mostly on <laughs> the Hawks right now. Yeah, yeah. All the 2016 yeah, contracts are exactly. coming off the books next year, so they're all on the Hawks. Alan Crabs around, Evan Turner, Chandler Parsons. That being said, that was that was the spot to upgrade, it seemed like, for the Grizzlies. They, the oh, there was three, no question. Who was a shooter, yeah, so if we, if we had it, a was three the who had some playmaking to him, that was the thing we thought could give us a fighting chance to compete with, with the, you know, with the best teams in the league. And we felt like short of that, we were, you know, kind of this scrappy underdog that was an underdog for a reason. So can that team, though, can the scrappy underdog who's an underdog for a reason 
can that team win a championship? Because I feel like we've seen that kind of team a lot in the past 10 years. The Bulls were kind of that team. They were a defense first team. They had Derrick Rose was an MVP, obviously. The Pacers were like that. The Grizzlies were obviously like that. The Jazz, I think, are kind of that team right now where they're a defense first team. And you don't necessarily know if the offense is going to carry them on the other side. That team, do you think, I would assume, can win a title? That sort of team? Well, I mean, the Pistons showed that sort of team can win a title. Mm-hmm. And I think we felt like if we had if we had five really good players rather than four, that we could be... We, we talked about that Pistons team internally a lot because if we were going to win, that was kind of how we were going to win. We were mm-hmm. going to have to be number one or number two in defense. And we knew we didn't have... We knew we didn't have any of the 10 best players in the league and weren't likely to. But if we had five of the top 60 players in the league, maybe, would sure. we, and we were just a pain to play against, <laughs> you know, we, could, that, could that be enough? Could, get, could that give us a legitimate chance against, against some of these other teams that had more superstar power? One of those Pistons is in Memphis's front office, right? Tayshaun Prince is... Yes, exactly. Yep, yep I... Yep, I have a, a quite a history with Tayshawn. I traded for him and <laughs> traded him and then worked with him. <laughs> <laughs> so things are all cool. With yeah, giving him an education. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, Tayshawn's great. Uh, super high basketball IQ. Um, you know, he's 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 quiet as I'm sure you've seen. Uh, but when something needs to be said, he says it, and uh, I think people really. Uh, respect his opinion and seek it out. So I, I'm sure he's going to do a great job there. Uh, I just wanted to ask about one guy that's sort of on the, the Raptors fans' radar, and Bruno Caboclo, uh, who you guys are Bruno. giving a shot in Memphis. Yes. And uh, he's stuck with the roster this year. Is he still two years away from being two years away, or is he a, is he a center in this league? Give me give me the Bruno status. I think he's a four or a small ball five. He can play some three. We played him a little there last year, but the the best thing he can do is um, is pick and pop. I think, and uh, and he's a tough guy for bigs to track. And then he's his length on defense is a problem. Uh, so. He's he's able to to make an impact there. Um, he still doesn't have um, like just just his instincts for the game and reading the game. I mean, they've progressed since he got to Toronto, but they still probably aren't aren't great. Um, so that that's an area that's still uh, one for improvement. And again, he just didn't get I he just didn't get a lot of reps in those like age seventeen, eighteen, nineteen years. Um, and I th- I think that probably. Uh, didn't help him but yeah he uh he had a nice close to the year last year so we'll see if he can get into the into the mix in in uh, Memphis he's been kind of out of the rotation so far but it's only been three games so one question for you why does everyone keep signing Jeff Green like well he gets a one-year deal every year what's well, that, the, what's that's the his, Jeff that's Green his, that's his pattern now yeah well here's the what's thing the I, mean, like, I, I mean He's not a bad player on a no, minimum he's not. contract. No, oh, like, yeah. no, you know, he's, not. he's fine. Yeah. So I don't, <laughs> you know, I, I wish we hadn't traded a first for him, but that's, you know, that's a, that's a completely different, different deal. That's like um, going right for every, for players now, though. Everyone's getting, it seems to have gone that way the last just maybe two you know, seasons. Yeah. Because before that, nobody was good, willing to do that to get the quote unquote final piece because they knew no matter what piece they got, they were still going to get obliterated by Golden State <laughs> when, it, when it came right down to it. And now I think people perceive that it's wide open 
And so they're much more willing to push their chips in. And that's the way it was in 2015 because we made the deal for Jeff. Houston made multiple deals with all kinds of second round picks to get uh, Corey Brewer and uh, uh, one or two other guys. Josh uh, Smith, maybe. It, Josh Smith, they got oh. off the scrap heap, I oh, think. Okay. Um, uh, Dallas made the trade for Rondo. Uh, San Antonio didn't do anything because they're San Antonio. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, somebody else, somebody else in that mix also made a move. Like everyone was pushing their chips in because they felt like it was this is it. Was, this is it, and it's wide open. And Golden State ended up kind of on the top of that heap. Well, you said um, it was wide open back then. I heard you on uh, the Basket Buds podcast our uh, our colleagues here at the athletic that you think that nine teams can legitimately win it this season it feels like it hasn't been that wide open in a very very long time do you still think nine can win it or have the warriors i'm trying to remember if golden state was one oh of yeah those teams. Here, I'll, I'll remind <laughs> you yes it was that de- yeah, yeah 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 you've already you've even tweeted about it since that um maybe you uh were a little too I was high a little, i might have been a little too optimistic <laughs> about them yeah the um uh I mean, I definitely think there's three teams in the East that can win it. I mean, you could... Three teams? Who's the third? Oh, uh, B- Boston. Boston. I think if, wow. they made, if they made one trade, and I'm not talking about a trade for like, like anyone said, oh, we can win it if we just trade for, you know, Anthony Davis. Like, that's not what I'm talking <laughs> that's about. That's all we need. Like, that's all we like, need. But if you trade yeah. for one more kind of just high-level starter player, which I think is a more realistic scenario, you know, Toronto's trade for Mark last year, let's mm-hmm. say, something mm-hmm. like that. Right. You know, I, th- I think Boston, you can talk yourselves into. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. not to put you on the spot in the West, but I think everybody had sort of the Warriors amongst their... There's a couple the couple L.A. teams, Utah, Denver, Houston, and the Warriors were, were sort of... Yeah, because you figured, like, okay, they do whatever in the regular season, Clay comes back, Clay comes they back, get yeah. a couple buyout guys, and all of a sudden they, they're dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and crazy. I suppose... I suppose that's still plausible, but they might be like 23 and 50 at the time, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you wrote about it today in in that your 2015 Grizzlies got off to that. We had a very, very similar start. Yeah. Yeah. We got absolutely obliterated two of our first four games. Uh, And it was the same kind of thing, just like low energy, had a really blah training camp, like you just you just knew stuff wasn't right like right from the word go yeah um and i think that's kind of the vibe around this team too but you forget how long this season is and how many chances there are to kind of get the train back on the tracks so uh we'll we'll see i mean i i think they have some issues with their rotation and stuff obviously but they also um you look at just kind of three-point luck, like their their opponents are shooting a ridiculous percentage and the Warriors themselves are shooting very poorly and it's like even Curry is four for 20 on the season. I'm, I predict that will not hold on. <laughs> well, Projection he will finish the year, turn it around. Uh, he'll finish the year above 20% from three. <laughs> well, I like one of your solutions. Give the ball to the best players and not to the other guys. Yeah, I think St- Steve Kerr's instincts definitely run more uh, socialist in terms of sharing the basketball and stuff. And mm-hmm. I think it just uh, when when you don't have that secondary talent, you, you just need to really lean on your top players to just kind of be pigs and take all the offense. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned uh, when the Grizzlies had their slow start in 2015, you knew it right away and you could just tell something was different. So as a GM, uh, surely... Steve Kerr, Bob Myers are noticing these sort of things as well. What's what are you thinking then? When you know the team doesn't look like they've looked in the past few years, the energy's not there, the psyche's not there. Are you thinking we need to get in more players who are going to help 
from a talent standpoint, or we need to get some good chemistry guys in here who are going to make things happier, who are going to, it's going to be a better work environment. So everybody's sort of on the same path. What's the solution then for the Warriors besides just let Curry go crazy? To me, I'd be, I'd be looking at things more from the talent side uh, because there's a lack of it. it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The hard part is that nobody wants to do a trade right now because everyone still is in love with their roster and think they're going to (laughs) go 75 and seven. Right. So, um, so that can be really difficult. We were very fortunate um, that year that I wrote about in my column on the athletic today, that, that Miami was far enough into the luxury tax that trading Chalmers for Baino was really appealing to them. Uh, I think it, I think we ended up saving them two and a half million maybe. Mm. Um, and, uh, from that point they were able to make one or two other side deals and get under the tax. Uh, so, uh, I, but I don't know where that deal is available for them right now. It's really, there's a reason there's only been like two trades done in November in the last decade, I Mm want to say, and and our deal was one of them. Um, it's a really hard time to do a deal. So, and then they're also handcuffed by the, uh, the hard cap that they face, they're only th- uh, 300 and change away from it. So almost any deal that adds money, they can't do, which generally when, you, when you're a team that's looking to add talent, well, what's, what's the way that you can add talent without giving up assets? You, you agree to take on money that mm-hmm. other team wants to dump. Well, that option's off the table pretty much for Golden State. So it's going to take some creativity. Our, uh, our deal's not done in November because front offices are in chill mode, as you said. Maybe, maybe they're just not working hard they're enough. In chi- <laughs> well, they're, they're in chill mode. They're in evaluation mode. Nobody wants to do anything yet. Um, yeah. People are in love with their team. That, that's definitely a part of it, I'm sure. They're, they're, I mean, there's definitely a subset that is – it's almost like Christmas shopping. Like, they're just, they're just going to wait till December 24th no matter what. You know, they're going to – but in this case, December 24th is February 6th, the trade <laughs> deadline. Uh, you know, where they're, they're just going to wait and wait and wait and do something in February. Um, that, we, were, we were always more aggressive than that. We made, we made a lot of deals before the trade deadline and in my time there, and, and – I always felt like if you had the if you had the deal and it made sense, why are you waiting twenty games? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but it is always astonishing to me that we get to the trade deadline and things start flowing in. The trades just start happening when hey, yeah. there was a couple of months before this that things exactly happen. exactly like what 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 would have happened if this deadline didn't exist? Like right. <laughs> would would anything have happened this year? Like we're all the same. It's very odd. We all like our backs to the wall to get things done. Something else in your previews that surprised me was that you had the Houston Rockets as the number one team in the Western Conference. You know, people definitely, I feel like they're recognizing them as a a championship contender, but nobody's really throwing their chips and saying the Rockets are going to be the team to beat this year because nobody knew what they were going to look like with Harden and Westbrook on the court together for the first time in years. So it's been a week. They've played all of two games. Is there anything encouraging to you or discouraging to you to knock them off of per- perhaps they're going to be the best team in the Western Conference? Uh, I haven't seen anything that would change my initial thought, I mm-hmm. guess. Um, like I said, it's only two games. Um, they, uh, they probably let that Milwaukee game get away from them. Um, played a little better against the Pelicans, but, you know, it was home against the Pelicans. Sure. So uh, I, I, I mean, I think th- the way they play is really hard to stop just because Harden is so good that and then you still have that back backstop that if Harden sits out a few games or whatever Russ can kind of be that guy and and take everything over 
and then there it's weird because they the back of their bench is is it's almost like golden states mm-hmm. like you look it's like wow that's kind of shaky but they're they're three four five like their starting lineup one through five and even probably their first one or two guys off the bench they're really solid there so as long as they keep those six or seven guys upright like they're gonna win a lot Definitely. Um, and I just think it's not going to take a super huge win total to be the one seed in the West this year. I think there's going to be a lot of – there's a lot more parity. There's going to be a lot of knocking each other off. So, you know, I, I had him number one. I think I had him at like 54, if I remember yeah, right. Yeah, it wasn't super high. Yeah, number. yeah. So I, that's a very plausible scenario to me. And I still don't know if that makes him the favorite when the playoffs start. Sure. Like I think you get into the postseason and the Clippers are playing Kawhi and Paul George every single game. I think – I think they maybe become the team to beat, even if they're not the number one seed. Is there a uh, a surprise team that's joining that sort of elite from, I know it's only been six nights, but is there somebody that's surprised you that could jump into that mix, um, even, even the second tier? Because jumping into the championship mix, that's... Uh, hey, we do a podcast every day. We like to jump to conclusions, <laughs> yeah. but that's a, that's a pretty huge conclusion to jump to is there a surprise anyways from the uh i guess in general from the first week of the season i'd say phoenix's level of play their their first three games has definitely opened some eyes uh playing a lot more defense and uh you look at their rotation like one through eight they're pretty good they have a real point guard now which you know makes a makes a big difference that was a disaster area last year and uh you know, we'll see how they deal with this suspension with uh, with DeAndre Ayton, but they did equip themselves with with Aaron Baines. Uh, so they're, you know, they they have other bigs they can turn to. Check Dallo, I think, is an interesting player uh, if he gets some minutes. Frank Kaminsky has played well from them as as a stretch big. So they, you know, they they go eight to ten deep with like pretty good quality, and you know, they still have Booker there who can put up some big numbers. So I think I think. Um, they can be this year's Sacramento, let's say, mm-hmm. where they're maybe they don't crack the top eight in the West, but they're in the race the whole year. That, that's what after three games, that's what they look like to me. Now, admittedly, it's three games like we've seen some stuff where it didn't carry over at all. I mean, I, two years ago, our first three games, we beat the Pelicans. Then we beat Golden State. Then we won at Houston on a back to back. Golden State and Houston were both 60 plus win teams that year. Uh, and we went 22 and 60. <laughs> so sometimes it doesn't carry over. So <laughs> That's Fe- all I'm saying. Yeah. Phoenix could be this year's Sacramento. Could Sacramento be this year's Phoenix? As in- <laughs> <laughs> it's such a delicate you know, balance, right? Because I think let's, uh, let's go back one week. You look at what James Jones built in Phoenix, and you might say, yeah, one two, through eight, they're okay, but what's, what's the point? I mean, shouldn't you just kind of tear it down a little bit more? But they're doing great. And the same thing sort of goes in Sacramento. Now you kind of look at it and you say, well, why, why send all that money to Corey Joseph and Trevor Reese and Dwayne Dedman if things yeah. are going to go this way? But it can also turn the other way, and they could also vault up the, the standings. I thought, I thought Sacramento got ahead of themselves because I, I thought they were over their heads last year um, and really ma- that team maxed out just in terms of all their key players were healthy the entire season. Uh, I think Fox, Heald, and Cauley Stein played like 82, 81, 81 games. Uh, Bogdanovich only missed a few games. Um, the, like their, their key players were just were out there healthy the entire year. And so they, they, uh, they, they just had that, that health advantage, which if you look at surprise teams, like health is always a major factor almost. Mm-hmm. 
it's it's never like, yeah, we had three starters out, but we overachieved by 15 <laughs> games from what people thought. Like that, that's never how it goes. So, um, I I think they're gonna, uh, you know, it's unlikely that they'll get that kind of fortune again. And then their half court offense still isn't very good. And I thought they lost some of that speed that really made them dangerous um, when they when they uh, when they lost Willie Cauley Stein and. Uh, um, they did they did some other things and just they're just they're just a little slower now that, than they were i thought in the off season especially if you're really trying to build a team around fox and healed uh and and you know that you're still kind of on the staircase going up that bringing in 30 year old veterans mm-hmm. wasn't really the way to go you know maybe if you have some exception money left over you bring in a couple locker room guys or something but really thought that they should have been looking more at the you know, 23 to 25 year old types, guys who could grow up with Fox and Buddy and, and be, you know, be be in their prime when those guys are, too. Uh, it's not great to bring in 30 year old veterans when you're a basketball team, but it's great uh, when you're podcasters. So thanks to the athletic <laughs> for signing us on and not bringing in youngsters like 23 and 25 year olds. Uh, and one question you mentioned, speaking about young podcasters, you're on the basket buds uh, with uh with our buds there. You mentioned Zion Williamson playing some five. I thought that was interesting. Do you th- see his future as a five in this league? I think he's going to start games at the four and then mix in at the five uh, strategically. And, man, it's just seen it in preseason. Like, it, it's hard to guard, man. Like, legit fives, like, the, just have a hard time with him even though they know they don't have to play him for the shot but he's just so quick Mm -hmm. and so powerful at the same time and he can finish right through a lot of these guys even though they're taller than he is I think it's an unusual situation for an NBA big to just have have this guy just plow right through Mm -hmm. you and score every time like uh, you know you saw him do it to Rudy Gobert in the preseason in Utah Uh, so I'm really excited to see what happens when he gets back on the floor um because he is a, a truly, truly unique talent. Is it impossible to sort of prognosticate what the heck is going to happen there with his his injury? Yeah, you ju- you just worry that there's so much power generated in that body that the lower extremities can't handle it. Um, and I, I just don't think that's something we'll know right away. I mean, sure. is it just is it just a one off freak thing, or is it something that's going to happen every other week? We just we just don't know yet. So uh, that's going to be an interesting part of his story, though, because talent-wise, uh, I mean, I, I saw this guy play three times in Maui last year. Uh, like, he, he's ridiculous. Uh, he's, and, and he's just scratching the surface. Like, you can see on defense, like, he had never really had to learn anything mm-hmm. because he could just rely on his natural ability. Like, once he once, – but he has – but he also like he has the brain for the game and the competitiveness and all that. Like he's gonna get it, and then it's it's really gonna be over, you know. <laughs> so uh, he he's a a ridiculous talent, and I'm I'm just I'm hope he gets back out there and can stay out there because I'm so excited to see what what he can be. I think he'll be like a ga- a a uh, break the mold type type of guy. Like the closest thing I can come to is Charles Barkley uh, in describing him, but he's he's different even from Charles. I think he has more more ball handling ability and and maybe even more explosiveness than charles had yeah i think he's uh elicited some excitement in hoop heads that we haven't felt in a long time that we haven't seen in a long time i should say just people who've been around the game for a while just this guy is 
so freaking special. Uh, and and you mentioned the preseason hype of going down to a, to an Atlanta preseason game and getting excited. That just doesn't happen. People don't go to regular season games in Atlanta. And, yeah, and get they excited certainly don't go to preseason <laughs> games. Yeah, but that one was packed. I couldn't believe it, and there was media from everywhere. Um, and, and and it was it was all for him. And he didn't disappoint. I mean, yeah. he posterized Damian Jones two mm-hmm. minutes into the game. So, uh, I just want to get back to one guy uh, who who is with you in Memphis, and, and you have on your team on the all breakout team, and he's thirty two years old. And, and Mike Conley, uh, why did you put him on your team? What can he do in Utah? What can he show the rest of the league that maybe people didn't see? Uh, in Memphis, because I am totally with you. That 2017 playoff performance that you said was probably the end of the run. He was amazing. It was a six-game run, but he was phenomenal. This guy, uh, he could be, you know, he could be a playoff star that people really haven't seen come, you know, 2020. Yeah, and uh, I was I was really excited for him in Utah when I saw they signed uh, Bogdanovich, and it looked like they were going to play Bogdanovich, Ingles, Mitchell, and Mike with Rudy Gobert as a rim runner, I just thought he would have yards and yards of space and really be able to get to the rim a lot more than he got in, in Memphis because we always had, you know, we were posting up Zebo and Mark. We played a lot of non-shooters. There were, there were, there were always just people in the way, you know, and that was one of the reasons that he, you know, that right-handed floater became such a weapon for him uh, was a, a little bit out of necessity that there were a lot of times he just couldn't get all the way to the bucket. So uh, I'm I'm hopeful that things open up. The floor opens up for him in Utah. Um, he uh, got off to a little bit of a rough start there in the first game. <laughs> yeah. Although although it was weird, he missed he missed every single right-handed floater in that game short, uh, which is which is unusual. So I think it's just maybe some early season rust, uh, hopefully. But I, I think as he gets into it and gets in that system, I think he's just going to have a lot more opportunities to attack uh, and attack with advantages. And he's not going to be facing the other team's best perimeter defender every night which he was every single game with us um so I, th- I think there's just a lot of advantages for him there that I'm, I'm really hopeful he can take advantage of and hopefully that will result in finally this tragedy of him never being in the all-star game oh. is uh is, is reversed this year I got my fingers crossed but but we'll see it's always so tough in the west uh to to get mm-hmm. any traction at all unless you're putting up video game stats so We'll see. Yeah, it's going to be tough for him in Utah as well with a couple other guys that could be there. All-star teams. That's, yeah. No, so, I mean, that's happened with us where, you know, we would have Mike, Mark, and Zebo split the vote. You know what I mean? Yeah. Coach would be like, I'm going to put one Memphis guy on, but they put it, <laughs> each of them puts a different guy on, so <laughs> none of our guys get in. And you're like, come on, man. Yeah, so that ballot is supposed to be for the head coach. Mm-hmm. How often – does the head coach actually tick the box? So all-star ballots they take seriously. Um, with some of the other ones, like the all-defense ballot at the end, the end of the year, there's a couple of them. I think all-defense <laughs> is one of them. That 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 gets outsourced. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> I'll say I'll say 25 plus teams. That that ballot is getting outsourced. So that explains why Kobe Bryant made so many all-defense teams at the end of his career. Is what you're saying? That that would be one example. Yes. <laughs> So the head coach ticks the box for the All Star games. That's 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 good. No, to the know. Uh, the All the All Star vote they take seriously. Yeah. Just moving on to uh, PER, um, the stat that you made up. Do you use player efficiency rating when you're uh, evaluating? Use your own stat to evaluate talent. Um, I so I do, but uh, I don't use it exclusively or even really. Uh, 
It's, it's not even really the primary mm-hmm. factor. I mean, there's a lot more advanced stats than there were when I invented mm-hmm. uh, PER. So, I t- you know, take advantage of them. Um, it, it, where it is really useful is just as a quick, just a quick glance. Like sometimes I'll just, you know, before I play a team, I'll just look at the other team's roster and, and uh, or this is what I would do in Memphis and just kind of look at their numbers and, you know, just kind of. You just kind of look at the guy's PR and just sure. kind of, you know, like, one or two that. other stats. I that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That part's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah for sure. You mentioned the uh, proliferation of, of all the advanced stats. What is the next phase of analytics? What's the next, what's the next step? Not, not necessarily even from a stat perspective, but even the implementation. I mean, anything from the, the whole advanced stat world. The next step is uh, really boring for uh, people on the outside because it involves a lot of the health and medical stuff and the decisions on when to rest players and uh, um, and selecting players in the draft even and it's going to be it's going to be combing through all this data to uh, define uh, what's going on in the in the injury side, which players are are risks what level of minutes or load or whatever people are measuring puts a player at risk or, or, you know, and should that number be different for different players, all kinds of work being done on that front. It's still very bleeding edge right now, but that's, that's where teams are going. And you're going to see a lot more science mixed in with what right now is basically art when it comes to resting players and managing their health. Does that mean we're going to be I mean, we've heard a lot about, uh, you know, body trackers, which are which are measuring the load at practices or sometimes I don't know if they're allowed to use them during games. But is that is that what you're talking about? The technology yeah. side of it is going to be so much more. Yeah. And you're, so you're, you're not, not, allow, not allowed to use them in games right now. You can use them in G League games, though, I think. Yeah. Um, and it's it's going to be as, within the next CBA negotiation. It's probably going to be a big deal. Sure. Just the fight over stuff like that sleep trackers, blood testing, all that kind of stuff, how invasive uh, is okay, you know, how much is it helpful to just help a player manage his, you know, help the team manage the player's career and help him, and how much is ju- that is just invasive and stuff I don't want you to know. Because <laughs> if you're, you know, if you're wearing a thing that measured my blood, measured my sleep, sure, you can also tell if I'm out at the club, which maybe I don't <laughs> want you to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there a, a part of that which happened with DeAndre Ayton, not not to project what the heck happened there, but there was a diuretic that cleared his system, and you, you just you just sparked that in me that he's banned for twenty five games because he cleared out his system, and then the subsequent testing found nothing. Well, that's obvious because it was just his system was cleared out, right? Is there is so as a front office, do you look at that and you say that's steroids, or or do you what what, what do you take from that? Boy, that's that's a hard one for me to to weigh in on because I don't I don't know any of the specifics of it. I mm-hmm. mean, anytime somebody has a masking agent in their system, you kind of mm-hmm. it raises your eyebrows a little bit. So, uh, but we we don't know the I, I haven't read or heard the exact circumstances of how that ended up in his system either. So, you know, I've, that's fair. I'll, I had to ask. <laughs> I had to ask. I'll probably dance around that a little bit with, with weasel <laughs> words. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, we uh, we figured we had to lay that one out there. You never know. You never know if you get a response. You mentioned that uh, sleep is going to be a part of a part of the next foray into analytics, if you will. Uh, there's been a lot of talk, obviously, about the season being shortened, less back to backs. You know, the season is now 
It was a little bit longer for two years. Now it's kind of back in between to where it was prior to that. Do you think that they need to get games so we have less back-to-back so players are able to get a full night's sleep so you're not flying on a plane from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. and then you get up and then you got to practice and then next thing you know you've got another game. There's not a lot of time to sleep, but clearly it's something that's very important. Do you think getting rid of some games is is a solution that the NBA should look at? Um, I think... Uh, Uncle Benjamin is going to have a problem with that. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that, that's the biggest issue. Is it so important that they're willing to lose money uh, from, from just the sheer number of games and bank on there being enough of a quality improvement that it makes up for it? Right now, I'd say probably not. <laughs> but, but we'll see. I mean, they have gotten a lot smarter about how they schedule, thank goodness. Um, so some of the more ridiculous elements in previous schedules with four and fives and five and sevens and and whatnot have been taken out because, I mean, we were in a situation, uh, it was actually our first year with uh, Fisdale, so that would be 16-17, I think, um, where our third game of the season, we had Mike and Mark both coming back from season-ending injuries. We, we They gave us a four and five the first week of the season, so like guys weren't really even conditioned to be up for it yet. We just looked at it. We we're like, there's just, there's just no way. Like, we're just like, I'm I'm sorry, but the third game of the season, we have to punt it because there's just <laughs> there's just no way sure. like we can do this. And so we, um, you know, so we had to intentionally uh, lose the battle in order to win the war. Right? We sat Mike and Mark out that game. We got killed in Minnesota, but they stayed upright the rest of the year. We made the playoffs and whatnot. You know what I mean? Like that was the that was the end game. So they've, but I think part of the reason the league made those changes is because they realized that was going to happen more and more often. That if they wanted to see these players anywhere close to 82 games, that they couldn't do the four and fives and five and sevens because other teams were going to start uh, emulating like like what we had done and what the Spurs had done first, and uh, that was only going to become more common. Yeah, in general, do you guys get the schedule and say this game, this game, this game? Those are the optimum games for the guys to sit. Yeah, when we when we look at the final schedule, um, we always go through and kind of flag what are games where where guys uh, where guys might have some fatigue built up, and it might be and there might be an opportunity. But you don't really know until you get into the season uh, if guys have missed games before that. If you know where you are in the playoff race, what's there's a lot of there's a lot of factors to take into it. But yeah, definitely we sit down with, we would sit down with the medical team in Memphis when the schedule came out and be like, look, is there any, you know, what, what stands out here? When, when are these guys going to be tired? Like number three, sit them down <laughs> right away. Uh, well, you, it's funny that you brought up the five and seven to, to start the season because Trey and I had a disagreement the other day when we talked about, uh, I think it was the Pistons on a back-to-back. They stay open opening week. Was it Tuesday, Wednesday? No, Wednesday, Thursday they had yeah, a... Yeah, or Wednesday, Thursday. Yeah, they had a back-to-back. Mm-hmm. And I brought up that, yeah, the other team has an advantage on Thursday. The Hawks had an advantage when Pistons came in here. And he said, come on, it's opening week. These guys can play back-to-back nights. Mm -hmm. But you mentioned that I I think you're in my camp because you said you have to work up to that that five-game and and seven-night sort of, uh, you know, stamina level that they just haven't got that. So does the back-to-back sort of apply as well? Like, do players have to work up to a stamina level, even though these guys are well-conditioned athletes? Is yeah, their stamina because, not the because same? because there's not... The, the intensity of preseason basketball is a joke compared to the intensity of regular season basketball, especially for starting caliber players. Um, for some of the backups and guys who are trying to make a roster, oh, they're, they're 100% intensity in, sure. in those preseason games. But... For for a lot of the veteran players, I mean, it's just they're they're just going to kind of, you know, kind of 
go through, play their 20 minutes, 75%, work up, work up a little lather, don't get hurt. And then the energy level goes way up first game of regular season. So it's, so it's definitely a different, a different kind of thing. And, uh, that, that can be a tricky, uh, a tricky, uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, incline in uh, mm-hmm. in in kind of their 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 physical load. Yeah. Uh, were the Hawks players ready to uh, to work hard in the preseason against Zion Williamson? Was Zion Williamson was on the other side of the floor and the media was there? Do you think the Hawks actually did Trey Young and John Collins yeah, did they I mean, pick that, up their level? That one was probably a little more amped up uh, than. And again, younger players tend to, you know, they'll be a little more intense in the preseason game than than say Vince might be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, well, we'll let you get down to, uh, to the Hawks game that you're headed down to right now. Uh, is there anything uh, you want to plug, or do you want me to plug it for you? I got no problem plugging, <laughs> plugging <laughs> well, your... Well, uh, you know, I am with The Athletic now, so everyone please, you know, obviously check out check out my latest stories there and, uh, and subscribe, and then uh, you can listen to my podcast with Nate uh, Duncan. Uh, Hollinger and Duncan NBA podcast. Uh, <laughs> I believe it's Hollinger and Duncan NBA show. Either, either way, it either, works. either way. <laughs> I'll go find go, it. If you Google either of them, you'll find it. So, <laughs> all right, so one, just one. just do that. Um, so, and uh, uh, thanks everyone for listening. Yeah, thanks so much for uh, for coming on, and uh, be sure to uh, tune into our squad episode that dropped on Sunday, as well as our uh, daily show Monday through Friday. We will see you Tuesday morning. You could stay.